0: Welcome to Tracksuits and Pajamas.
1: Or Pajamas.
0: We are two best friends from different walks of life.
1: And sleep numbers.
0: Together we'll delve into everything massive and mundane.
1: Join us as we address politics, love, race, parenthood, pancakes, and more.
0: Because when you're comfortable and among kindreds, no topic is off limits.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Tracksuits and Pajamas. We're so excited that you came to check us out again. Last time we talked to you during part one, we talked about race overall, but we also got into sort of my perspective and how I was processing things. In part two, we're going to also talk about race, spoiler alert, but this time we're going to get into Noelle's perspective a little bit more and how she's processing things. And we're going to talk about incremental change, in particular, how to make it more consistent when you talk about race and making it a part of your everyday life. And we're going to have Mariah Gossett, our wonderful producer, pop in and share a few thoughts as well. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Tracksuits and Pajamas. This is Trenzio Turner.
0: And I'm Noelle Newby.
1: And we are back with part two of Race. It's been a while since we've been talking.
0: It's been a little bit of a journey to get here, Yeah.
1: Yeah, it has. It has been.
0: We believe in full disclosure and being vulnerable and honest with you guys. We tried to record part two of this a week and a half ago, and it just, I don't think we were ready
1: for it. No, it was it was boo-boo. It wasn't good.
0: <laughs> for those of you that don't know, that's probably the height of Trenzio's cussing right there, is that it was boo-boo. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about why that may have been, and for me at least, it was that I was still in it, and I wasn't in a place where I felt like I could be helpful or have processed it and i think that that talks a lot about the middle too because you can't actually act from the middle until you feel more like you're in the middle
1: yeah i think it was um i don't know about you Noel, but i definitely still still processing things um still sort of digesting everything and at, at the same time so many things were still moving right it's not like there was a pause button on anything right stuff was still coming at you, you still got covid going on you still got states becoming hotspots. spots schools about to start right so you still got all of this stuff happening um you know and we're still processing you know this 2020 and everything that has happened so it, you know took us a little bit to to get part 2 up and going but here we are
0: and full disclosure i think we're still processing now I think from my vantage point, I don't feel as triggered, I guess is a good word, of of not being able to see see my way out of my own feelings to be able to talk about them in a way that I think is helpful. And I think that's really important when you're doing work. I didn't want to come on in an outward forum or even bring it to you, Trenzio, out of a place where I'm trying to process my own shit versus dealing with it and then having a helpful, what I hope is a helpful, um, vulnerable and authentic discussion that's not just a, yeah, I want to be responsible for my own feelings. I want to process my own feelings and then I want to be able to talk about them from a place of semi-groundedness instead of um, a place of emotional spinning.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think we can start this episode off without recognizing uh, recent news. I know this may come out about a week or so Mm. afterwards, but uh, John Lewis uh, Mm. passed away over the weekend um, after battling cancer for a while. Um, You know, and I hope, you know, there's been conversations about statues coming down and naming of things. And uh, I just think, That's going to be a huge opportunity. Um, I hate it that this would have to happen, you know, after he's passed away because he should have had a statue while he was living. Um, But what a great opportunity with everything we talked about with race and social justice. Um, What a great opportunity to put some lasting monuments there uh, for a true hero in John Lewis. I was looking at some of the footage over the weekend and, um, you know, him crossing the Pettus Bridge in Alabama, um, how young he was. Um, I believe he was the youngest person to speak, um, at the March on Washington, um, which is it's crazy, uh, to think about the age that he was back then, um, and to deliver that in front of all those folks with everything going on. Um, I've just sort of been sitting in that over the weekend. Really yeah, special, I love, man.
0: I mean, I love the, the quote, you know, good trouble. Finding a yeah. good trouble to get into. Like that's such a, so powerful today and powerful then. And I feel like that that's a mantra that I can wrap my head around. As a conflict avoider, a historical conflict avoider myself, I love the idea of reframing it of what's the good trouble to find that makes the world a better place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think he has a uh, documentary coming out soon with that title, uh, Good Trouble. You know, it's interesting because you sort of see, um, you see all of the young activists that are out there uh, and you see them paying homage to John Lewis and you know it it just it just took me all the way back to think here was a man 80 years old uh marcher dr king uh did so much um and for him to sort of see during the last few months of his life everything that's that's taking place here this year it's it's just a you know I'm not going anywhere with it. I just think it's really interesting. Um they had an interview with him on that he did back in June. And uh he was just so inspiring to everyone, uh but just encouraging people to continue to push and to to not um to not give up and even though you may have some setbacks, they'll just temporary setbacks. Let's just keep going and saying we're not going to go back. And I'm just thinking, you know, for me personally, it's like, all right, you, you need to suck it up and get going, uh, because this man has been doing this for a long, long time, and um, he is not discouraged, he's not disheartened, uh, but instead he is pressing forward. Doesn't mean you don't have tough days, uh, but it's sort of hard to sit back um, when you have somebody like him who is still pushing, even at age 80, battling cancer.
0: And that there's something, I believe, where he knew that he could pass the torch right now. You know, there's a release of that responsibility becomes the responsibility of all of us. Mm -hmm. And that he's fought that fight for so long. And he can rest in peace and rest in power and that we can pick up that for him. And for so many others.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, you... You know, this podcast is obviously about the middle, and we've we've talked about that and explained that. So yes, I think we should um, celebrate uh, John Lewis, and hopefully, we will see that in a visual way. Um, in so many ways, um, but hopefully, in a visual way in the near future, I think it'll be a be a special thing to do. Um, John
0: Lewis Bridge, please.
1: Yeah. Bridge, building, statue, stadium. Let's make it happen. All of it. Um, So, Noel, you mentioned earlier um, about sort of you were still processing, understandably so, uh, in a space of sort of sorting through things. How are you doing? How's that process going? Um, What's been on the dome? All that good stuff.
0: (laughs) There's a long answer to that question. You know, I've said a lot since our last attempted recording, and I bring that back up because I think what I found myself doing in that recording is wanting to come to the table like I am already this warrior, like that I've already done all this work, especially as it relates um, to social justice and as it relates to my own biases, Um, and the reality is I haven't. And so I found myself in this paralyzed place, I think, when we were recording the last one of not wanting to bring my work to you and not wanting to share that vulnerability outside of myself just yet. But then I realized that also wasn't really honoring the space that we're trying to create because the middle of that space is that I can show my struggle, but own it too. And I think I struggled a little bit with how to do that because I'm very cognizant of not wanting to have my processing of white privilege and have my processing of what my role is in all of this become anybody else's responsibility but mine. And the the truth of that is, too, is like I also, as friends, I don't want ever to lay that at your feet and ever make it seem like I'm asking you to pick it up for me. And so I needed some time to kind of go through all of it because what's happening to me is whether it be about race or it be about school or health or all of these things, what this year 2020 has done is it's making me re-evaluate what I thought were my truths with a capital T and realizing some of them are just truths with a lowercase t. And I want to I want to evolve them. And it's also just been real time to your point. Like every day I thought I was like, okay, I'm settled. I got it. Okay, this is who I am. And then the next day I was like, wait a minute. No, this is not who I am. And I at best have been an awkward ally and I want to be a warrior, but I'm not there yet. But I also know that I need to not shy away from having those conversations um, because I want I want this podcast to be about being able to show those vulnerability touch points and to be able for us to really have those conversations, but mm-hmm. also trust the container of our friendship of that if it's ever too much that you tell me and that you can trust that I will be doing the work on my own too. And yeah. I have to let myself – I have to lift myself out of um, – I got – I mean, I'm embarrassed to say any of this, but like I got a little tired and I got overwhelmed and all the other things were going on. Mm-hmm. And there was. I had ordered <laughs> – all of these books and I was all in. And I, I mean, I think I ordered 15 books. Like that's a recipe for disaster. Like I can't read 15 books <laughs> in two weeks. I have read three, you know, I'm—I I, and so I needed a little, I needed not to ask for grace outwardly from you or from anyone else, but I needed to give myself the grace so that I could actually refocus and learn and realize that privilege again of even being able to consider where I, whether I set this down for a minute and came back to it later, because I know that that's a privilege of being white. I know that that is something that I have that you don't. And what happens to me in those moments of being real vulnerable is then, then I start to shame myself, right? Because it's this shame was my first language. And so it's this exhaustion that happens. And then it's a shaming because like, how dare I be exhausted because I have it's so much easier than so many people. But then what that does and what I noticed in myself is that that led to an inactivity and it led to a stagnation that doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. And so it's making sure that I'm giving that grace to myself while, while not asking for absolution or forgiveness outwardly, but doing the work in my own container.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. I was, so I, I got to tell you, I, I was bragging on you to some folks. Uh, yes, I was. I was bragging on you um, because um, I remember when when everything really started to 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 come to an head, uh, kind of right around the time when a lot of the um, when a lot of the protests were starting. You told me, and keep me honest on this. Didn't you say you started like a forum or a group amongst? Uh, your friends, white women to sort of talk about, uh, becoming anti-racist. Yeah. It's becoming anti-racist. Right. And I just, uh, I thought that was really cool. And it wasn't like, and you weren't, you weren't telling me to, um, be like, Hey, Trenzio, look what I'm working on. <laughs> I checked you know, my box. <laughs> you know, check my box. Been working on this thing. You just, it just sort of came out during one of the many conversations that we have about things. Um, and I was telling somebody that I, I thought that was great that um, that you took the initiative to go on and do that. And like you said, it's it's hard work and it's tiring. But the fact that you dug in on it, uh, I think that's cool, um, you know, because a lot of um, a lot of folks I talked to, a lot of black people I talked to were still fielding phone calls from their white friends of, hey, how you doing? Just checking on you. Everything good, how's it going? Hey, what's happening? how you know, like it was a whole it was a whole bunch of that right um and which was you know kind and appreciative uh, but there were a lot of folks that were feeling like hey i'm I'm not really the one that who needs to be talked to right and so I thought it was cool uh that you went out and did that because I think that's a space where some real change can happen because it allows everybody to be probably probably a little bit more vulnerable. You know, I don't know, you know, what happens in, in, in the group, but I think it's, you know, I'm guessing you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you created it to sort of be a space where you can get that out and you can talk about being an anti-racist and maybe people feel more comfortable, uh, sharing that, um, in that group versus others. So, uh,
0: Yeah, because I think it's important that those that that change happens without your help. And I Mm -hmm. mean, you meaning black people, but it's not it's not your responsibility to help those of us who are trying to become warriors um, and trying to shift that. And I listened to that great podcast between Austin Channing Brown and Brene Brown. Which was powerful on so many levels. And they brought up, and I think it was in reference to a book by David Foster Wallace um, called This Is Water. And it's about these, you know, fish who have always lived in water. And one day somebody says, Hey, how's the water? And they're like, Wait a minute, what's water? And I think that's what whiteness is now feeling like is hmm. even, even for someone like me who I felt, I've always felt like it was, I was. You know, not racist. I had worked really hard to make sure that I treated everyone equally, but I never took around, I never was able to take a look around and realize that what I was living in was water and that that water is centered and has been centered in whiteness. So it's an unlearning of what that means and also like having to really look deep within and understand like what harm that has caused. Um, inadvertent harm even or overt harm. And I think that there needs to be these spaces to really do that work so that the paralyzation doesn't happen because human nature is when you feel paralyzed or when you feel shame or we feel overwhelmed, stagnation can occur. And I think it's important that we as white people move out of that paralyzation and out of that shame and not ask for absolution, but do the work ourselves and to ensure that we can keep our own progress moving forward. And it's, this is not a pity party, but it is tiring. Like one day I I remember I was thinking, okay, like I've done all these things. Yay. And then the next day it's like, oh, those things weren't perfectly right because we want to we want to be I don't know, maybe it's just me. Like I want to be perfect, but it's not going to be perfect because there is no such thing as perfection first of all, and second of all, this is going to be a lifelong process. So we just can't let the um, the overall exhaustion that is 2020, kind of keep this work from moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm. How? Um, so, for I'm I'm curious, and if if this is too much, just tell me to stop. But for the folks in your group, is that a do do they have a similar viewpoint to to what you're sharing, or or is it all across the board? What What, what do you think?
0: No, I think the people that wanted to be in the group have a very similar viewpoint. It's a very clear understanding of that there is still work to be done none of it felt like oh this is a box that i'm checking and i feel so much better about myself because i'm in this group it's if this is going to be a constant unlearning and a constant understanding of what it means to not just to be allies but to be warriors and you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about when it comes to the middle is that I've heard some pushback on other sides, right, of why do you hate being white? Why don't you like your culture? Why, don't, why aren't you proud of who you are? And um, it's kind of like a pushback against white guilt. And I don't believe that, like, white guilt is shame for who I am as a person, but it's an understanding that based on where I came from and based on how I was raised in this world, being white, that I may have caused harm. And I think that that's important for all of us as humans to not say, I feel guilty for who I am. But when I hear or feel that I have contributed to whether it's inadvertent harm or overt harm to another person, then that means that I have work to do. And so I think that the folks that are in the group, that's the end goal. And it's also a letting go of like that there's going to be this finish line where like today's the day I became a warrior. I'm so finished. Yay. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So and I think that it's great that we continue to have these conversations. And I also want to say out there like it's OK to feel overwhelmed by it, but you can't let it sink you and you can't. You can't decide to drown when there's work to be done. And that also doesn't mean that there may not be three weeks. I had three weeks where I could do no work. I had three weeks where the best I could do was read a book and get my children through the next day and get my family to the next day. Um, and what I tried to do is to come in and like break my own cycle of shame where for, for other things like I don't, you guys probably don't know this about me, but I'm a habitual online course signer upper. Like, I just sign up for, I see something, I'm like, yes, this is going to change my life. Um, You'd think that after, I don't know, maybe 10 times of this, you know, I'll pay the, like, it's $200. This is so easy, and I I got it. Like, all right, it's $200 for, like, a year-long class. This is so worth it. It's, like, $10 for, you know, little chunks. Um, And I'll do that, and then I'll get, like, 3 classes in and then I'll have then I'll fall off for two or three classes so I get fatigued and then I'll shame myself because I did not take the, the final three classes and then I just have to avoid it until the next online course comes around and I'm rambling about it my point is like the the fatigue that sits in you got to break the cycle and come back in because we we can't with the fatigue that sets in is not the end-all be-all it's just a sign to rest and get up and do it again.
1: Hmm. Yeah. No, I have to agree. That makes me. You know, we were talking earlier about John Lewis, and how he was just sort of he was relentless. Um, and I think that is the spirit and drive that you have to have. Um, I love that you are doing that um, because I think that um, one of the things that I've sort of noticed as for me has been um, this work is more of um, it is, I don't even know if I would call it work for me personally uh, because it's water. It it is, it is water, right? It is my life, right? So I, I don't have the option to come in or come out, right? I don't have the option to, um, to say I'm going to really dig in on this right now. Right. Like, like that doesn't even exist. Right. So, um, so that's a different level of exhaustion because it can't ever be put down. Right. Right. Um, so I, uh, I like the fact that, uh, I like what you're doing. I like when, um, when I'm hearing that, um, white people are taking ownership of this uh, because I think that is what it requires. You know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, who runs a nonprofit organization. And, you know, he was talking about sort of reaching new audiences and trying to get people to have more conversations around race. right? And he was looking for a partner and he was looking for a partner of color to help him with it. And, you know, I I thought it was, you know, all well and good. Um, But when I was talking with him, I was saying that I don't think you realize um, the power with you being a white male when you walk in the room and lead that conversation. Right. Of course, I'm happy to go in with you or you can find some someone else to go in with you. I said, but. There will be things exposed and uncovered and a little bit more raw and genuine when you walk in and have that conversation versus the guarded nature of it. If I'm walking into the room with you, I need you to be able to go on and do that. And we need more and more of that. Right. So the the more that I think people realize that the better. Um, And so it's good that that's happened. And I've seen that throughout a little bit more. So hopefully, um, that gets amplified, um, because, you know, you have folks, uh, or people of color who will, I think will always, you know, will always have to do this work because it is their life. It is a lifestyle. It'll never have to come off. It's sort of what, what is everyone else doing? All right. So that we can push it from both ends of the spectrum, uh, and to bring people to have those conversations. Right. Um, you know, cause we all have our networks and our groups of friends and, um, people that we hang around. Um, and typically in those settings, folks are more comfortable with sharing with things. It's like the podcast. where when you're amongst kindreds, you know, conversations are a whole lot easier. So when you are with kindreds, let's make sure that you're having those conversations. Um, 'Cause that's that's where the magic is, right? Right where it starts to feel uncomfortable and you start sweating and you're like, Oh, this is this feels weird. Um, and that's where I, good chat happens.
0: And I'll reach out like PSA to our white friends, like, you're going to get it wrong. I'm getting it wrong. But we can't let our fear of not doing it right stop us from doing anything. I mean, you just were recently on that Way to Live podcast with Chelsea Conley and what you said it was I learned so much from you just listening to you have that conversation with her. And I'm always appreciative of how much I learned from you. But there was one thing that you said was, you know, we act like it's this Rocky Mountain boulder that we have to push out of the way to even take any sort of step towards diversity and inclusion or changing our perceptions on race. And the reality is that it's not. And we can still take those first steps. And the reality is, I mean, I am... 46 years old Um, and it feels weird in this regard to feel like a toddler making a mess everywhere and it it's uncomfortable because this is new territory in a new way and for my white friends and for sorry for our white friends I want to say like you're gonna have to be okay with feeling uncomfortable you're gonna have to be okay with making a mess and cleaning it up yourself Otherwise, you just stay exactly where you are today, and that's not helping you or anybody else.
1: Yeah, I think. um, And when I say making
0: a mess, I mean like a contained mess, like not causing harm, but you're spilling some paint someplace. You're falling down. You're knocking stuff over. You're not causing harm. And if you do cause harm, you go through and you make amends. And you take responsibility for that harm. Because one of the big things that I'm learning is there's ways that I have caused harm that I never even considered could have been problematic. But Mm -hmm. you learn more, you do better. And then I'm prepared. Today I'm in a different place than I was three weeks ago that I can even learn more and more and more.
1: Yeah. I wonder, as a country, I wonder if there's more of an. um, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm answering my own question, but I I wonder if people have a um, have more of an appetite for that learning exploration, if you will. Because, um, like like you were mentioning, I said on the podcast, it's not um it's not this mountain to move. You know, in in order to in order to do something, right? In order to take a step. Um, you know, you mentioned you ordering. Fifteen thousand books, right? It's all good, right? If you if you if you order one book and you read that one book,
0: that's better than ordering fifteen thousand and only <laughs> reading two.
1: <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, that's a step, right? They, that that wasn't. Um, nobody asked you to, you know, you know. You know, walk around the country, uh, you know, or run around the country Forrest Gump style and, uh, you know, until you, you figured out some stuff. Right. No, that, that didn't happen. You ordered a book, you read it, you got a little bit more educated on it. Right. You get a second book. Right. You watch something online. Um, have you talked to a few folks? Right. You do some sort of self work. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting how. Um, there's so much. um the sort of self self help industry, I don't, I don't, I, I'm guessing that's that's what it's called, right? There's like a lot of stuff out there for that, right? And it, it's, it makes the industry makes a whole lot of money, uh, but I, you know, I I chuckle a little bit when it comes to race and how it becomes so much harder for folks, right? So it's it's easy to be like, okay, I'm buying this book because this book. Talks to me about I'm going to center on myself and I'm going to have, you a, know, med- have a mantra every morning going to have a mantra all this good stuff right um like that's just booming but then when it comes to race it's like oh oh my goodness oh I don't know if I can get out of bed this morning <laughs> it's just like oh,
0: oh I need my smelling salts
1: somebody please help me <laughs> it's just like it's like, come on, people, we we can do this. Well, and I realize
0: how baked in it is. I mean, I've seen so many people talk about like Google is your friend. Google is my friend. And I like to think, talk about the little T that is trying to morph into a bigger T. Like, I like to think I'm self-aware, I'm self-sufficient. And um, I remember when... Our friends Justin and Matt came out with this um, diagram mm-hmm. about. Op- it was great. It was amazing. We'd like to talk about that sometime in the future with you guys. But it, the gist of it was: is there were these buckets that was like, what does overt racism look like, and what does subtle racism look like?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there were all of these. There was just a long, long list, and it was really powerful and really easy to digest. And there was something on there called food deserts, and I didn't know what that was, and. I caught myself typing on Justin's Facebook page after he posted it. Hey, what's a dot, 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 delete. (laughs) Like, all I have to do is go up like two and a half inches on my computer screen and type that in Google and I have it. But there was a, a perfect example of even unknowingly asking someone else to do the work that I could do myself. So, yes, Google is our friend. Therapy is all of our friends. Like sitting yeah. with our own feelings, processing them ourselves, also our friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been, it's been interesting. I, I think everybody's going through their version of that. I mean, whether it's, um, individuals or if it's organizations, right? Like think of, think of the work that's being done right now, um, if in like, um, uh, you know, whether it's police departments or whether it's athletic departments, uh, I think we might have t- touched on that a little bit last time. Um, uh, corporations in hiring. Right. Like all of this, all of this stuff. Um, I can't remember if we talked last time about like all the companies that tweeted out about, you know, Black Lives Matters and like all, all this
0: well, and then those that 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 wanted to be Black Lives Matter adjacent, but didn't want to just go all in. So it was kind of softer language of can we get credit for this without actually putting the BLM half hashtag?
1: Yeah, like it's, it's just been it's been real interesting to watch um, the evolution of all of this. Um, and, I, you know people talking about the work that needs to be done versus just doing what's right, you know, in in my humble opinion, um, and just sort of stepping up to the plate, um, because we, we do it in other areas, right? So if you're, um, if you're a, if you're a corporation, right, you, you have an R and D department, right? You, you're going to go to work on that. Right. And a lot of times, it's research and development, right? So you don't know, right? You don't, you don't know stuff, right? But you like, yeah, go at it. Um, And then, you know, it comes to race and it's like, you know, that same sort of effort is not always there. But with what you've seen happening of late, it's going to be interesting to sort of watch the dynamic of the follow through on all these things. Because now you've had the, you know you've you you still have protesting going on uh but obviously not in the mass way that that we had uh a few weeks ago um and so now you have people trying to actually come to the middle right and you have people starting to have those discussions right whether it's um you know like i mentioned uh the defund the police movement or whether it's uh, the athletic stuff that we were talking about about earlier, and you see, you see things happening, and you see people taking steps, right? We've even seen that right here in the city that we live in, like with the University of Texas mm-hmm. um, renaming uh, the field, I believe it was right uh, the field making- and
0: various uh, buildings around campus. And if you yeah. guys missed that, the players yeah. themselves were the ones. They wrote an open letter and saying they would not, correct me if I'm wrong, but they would not participate in any recruitment events. And they also would not participate in any fundraising events Mm -hmm. unless some of the racist makings of the University of Texas were addressed. And those included buildings on campus. It also included the Eyes of Texas as the fight song for the University of Texas. And since we've, since that happened a few weeks ago, um, since that happened a few weeks ago, the university came out and I thought did a a good job of handling it. And one piece that I did not expect was the whole renaming of Joe Jamel field.
1: Yeah. I wasn't expecting that either. And, you know, when you, when you think about where it came from is that it came from the Jamel family, Um, you know, which again, I go back to the whole sort of mountain moving this big boulder. It's a lot of work sort of thing. You know, that was a phone call.
0: That was a phone call, and it was also, I think, a perfect example of putting, I'm putting air quotes here, but heritage and ego and pride aside. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know these folks personally, but you know that that was a big source of pride for them, that this field was named after their father. And instead of, in that moment, looking for how they could hold on to those comforts or hold on to that pride or hold on to ego associated with that, Immediately, they placed a phone call and said, "Hey, we saw their letter. We want you to change the name of the field. I don't care how you get it done; just do it." Uh, and now uh, we don't know what the name is going to be, but it's going to be some combination of Earl Campbell um,
1: and Ricky Williams. And Ricky Williams, yeah. So I, I, so I, I think that's cool. And I, you know, the what, what struck me in that is that someone in power, right? Um, someone in power uh, said, "Hey, look, let's do this," and it happened like right away. Right? We didn't need like a bunch of meetings. We didn't need like you know to convene a special whatever. It just happened, right? So um, and we've seen that in some pockets here and there. And again, shout out to the family for for doing that. And they're not looking for any attention from doing it. They're just like, Hey, you know,
0: Hey, but these two podcasters let's... in Austin, Texas are proud of you. I know that. Yeah. That's a big well, win for today, that, but we're proud of you.
1: They will, you know, they'll be asking for t-shirts and hats. I'm sure. And we can work it out. Or maybe they'll act for tracksuits and pajamas. <gasps> uh, you know, so I, what, what I took away from that is what I'm. I'm curious to see, and what I hope happens as it relates to race and things that are systemic is uh, people in power um, deciding and understanding um, their role in making real change. Right. So the the naming of the field is great. Um, I think they talked about maybe um, uh, putting a statue of the first uh uh, football Letterman, I, I think first African American football Letterman. I think they're looking looking at that as well. Um, you know, my hope and prayer is that that the power in other systems sort of see the role that they play in making a change, so that we can have systemic change in things. Right. And, so, so, go ahead.
0: And I think too, what what the University of Texas did is a is a Case study and nuance as well. Like they made these sweeping changes when it came to the buildings, um, the field, which was not asked for, but was added on top. They also came back because one of the the requests was that the Eyes of Texas, which had a history baked Mm -hmm. into minstrel shows, um, back when people who I know that are still alive were on campus. Like this isn't this long ago. We've chatted about this. This isn't that the Eyes of Texas, you know, had its impetus in minstrel shows as well as Robert E. Lee's saying the eyes of the South are upon you. And I was whatever day that was years old when I found that out. And I've grown up in Austin. Uh, my entire family went to the University of Texas. So it was really interesting. And I was curious about whether or not that song would fall at this point. And what the mm-hmm. what the university has decided to do to this point is to make all those other changes, keep the eyes of Texas as the fight song, but also own its history and own Mm -hmm. where it came from. And so to me, that's kind of this litmus test of the middle. And is it possible Mm -hmm. to find those things where we can take ownership and acknowledgement of the hurt and hold a space to see if it's still feasible in today's day and age? And it may not be. It may still be, too painful, it may need to shift in the future, but that that was them, in my opinion, trying to find some sort of middle ground.
1: Well, I, like you said, I, I think it's a perfect example of um, what the middle looks like, right? Because, you know, the players had a, had a list of things, uh, rightfully so, that they wanted addressed and paid attention to, um, you know, they may not get everything on the list, um, but they... They got some things and then for the it looks like, at least from the outside, for the things that uh maybe did not change, like you mentioned the for the eyes of Texas, there's gonna there's going to be in um sort of a an understanding and explaining, um they're, they're gonna put it in context of where the song comes from so that it's not a hidden thing anymore, right? That's not something that we we don't talk about, and I think that that is the step that I think we we hope for in dialogue right i I expect for them to keep talking right I expect for them to keep evolving on things, but I see it as a step forward and an example of it um and hopefully we'll see other examples you know throughout different systems uh in our society that have um lean on race so heavily uh, whether that be recognized or not
0: and one of the things before we move on that I thought was interesting is that the 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 historical connotation of the eyes of Texas actually came from the university first so it was a video that was put out by um, an organization on at the university highlighting where it came from showing where the minstrel shows had occurred on campus and I I also thought that that was very unique because it wasn't a – it was almost like a self-unveiling of what the history was even before the requests came. And so there's – I have an interest in that too of how can we all look in, again, back to the this is water analogy. How can Mm -hmm. we all look in and figure out where we have been thriving in something that could be toxic to other people and bringing that to light ourselves and then, letting other, letting the communities and letting larger groups decide what we do with it. Yep. But I feel I feel like that there's at least some sort of movement of of bringing light to things that were shrouded in darkness before.
1: Absolutely, that light that you mentioned, I again I think is the, um, that's that's the beauty of the middle. Right, is that we're gonna allow space for all of this, right? So it's not gonna be in the dark. Right, we're gonna put a light on all of it, so we can focus on it, talk about it, understand where it comes from, and then we can make decisions about what we want to do going forward. Right, but, but we're not just gonna keep it under cover anymore. And I, I, you know, I haven't done you know an official focus group or research or anything like that. Um, but just from a fan perspective, it feels better that these things are out. Right. And it feels, it feels better that they are being discussed and talked about. Um, is it comfortable for everyone? No. Uh, but we talked about that whole comfort thing earlier. Um, but I, I think, Everyone feels like um, feels like they've been been heard in a sense, um, especially um, people of color in a sense who have historically not been heard in that setting about those particular things. And again, this is just a this is just an example um, of of a larger opportunity uh, or roadmap to sort of, uh, address and take a look at systems, um, you know, and let it, you know, let us not forget the racism is, is built into the thread of this country. It, it, it literally built this country. Right. And, and it built so much of, um, so much of the, uh, you know, you, people listening can't see me doing this, but it built so much of the quote unquote comforts that uh, that people experience today. Um, so much of those things were built on racism. But in order to start talking about that. Uh, you know, being able to not just talk about it, but in order to start changing those things, we have to shine the light on those things Uh and again, being in the middle puts a spotlight on it and it's hot and it's uncomfortable. And that's a good thing, because typically when you are uncomfortable and when it is hot, there's a breakthrough on the other side of it. So so I think the more things that we can do that with um, more things we can take uh, and use that that example that we were just talking about, I, I think the better.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, I think out of that fire comes an awakening to the nuance and that mm-hmm. is where the middle can live yeah. because it is not right, but I think there has been this polarization around race that either you are a racist or you're not. Right. That's not true. You know, it's been, oh, we should get over it and move forward or not. Or you're in the past or in the future. Like those those are all those false dichotomies that we keep discussing. Right. And to be able and even even subtly and i think it's a subtle shift that i've noticed even since we last recorded is there's been a slight abatement of cancel culture around this too because mm. the conversation is getting broader which means there are going to be missteps they're going to but these missteps are are in the context of trying to get better and i'm seeing a little bit more seeing a little bit more understanding when the missteps are while doing the work than being ignorant of the work.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like you were, um, you mentioned, um, um, awkward ally, right. Which was the first time I heard that was from uh, Corey. Yeah. From a friend of mine on, on Twitter. I love that Um, phrase. And, um, I, I thought it was great because you know it it, it was used in context with uh, Joe Biden uh, when he came out and said that you know if you're um, if you vote for um, Trump you're not if black if you vote for Trump then you're not black right and um, and I I, I I agree with that I think the the
0: you agree with awkward ally not
1: <laughs> yeah no, yeah let's let's be clear on that look <laughs> point out.
0: of clarification
1: yeah yeah
0: let's talk about um, Kanye I'm just kidding.
1: The uh, he's running, um, and like, everybody gets a million dollars. Like
0: Forrest Gump, he was running.
1: He was running, Jenny. Um, the I, I think that's it. The the awkward ally thing is um, is is interesting because I, I think it, it is that. It's like you know what, mistakes are going to happen, um, but I know, you know, people. I, th- I think people can recognize when something is genuine uh, versus when it's not. Um, and, you know, I I think that people know that. Oh, okay, you you're trying to figure this out. Um, hey, let us let's, let's do a little bit more of this and maybe a little bit less of that, uh, and uh, give that a shot. I'd rather have you be an awkward ally than to just be stagnant and not do anything at all. You know, and that because. Um, in some way being an awkward allies is being in the middle, right? Because you're, 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 you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable, right? You're, you're maybe sharing some of your feelings, some of your thoughts, things you might not have shared before with people who you might not have shared them with. Um, and so that is going to put you in a little bit of a vulnerable space. Uh, but that's, that's a good thing, right? That, that shouldn't be looked at as a, as a weakness, um,
0: I think that there are a bunch of white people who felt like being called a racist is the worst thing that could happen to them in their life. And the juxtaposition of being afraid of being called out for racist racial tendencies or racist tendencies when you juxtapose that against being killed, when you losing, juxta- your, life, got losing got your life, when you juxtapose mm-hmm. that against all the atrocities that have been happening to communities of color over and over and over again, there has been this fracture of and I've seen it with I've seen it with my white friends. They're looking inwards and saying, like, no, not being afraid to speak out because being afraid that I'll be misunderstood and being called a racist is not important anymore. What's important is to stop right. these atrocities from occurring. And that means I have to let go of this comfort of being wrapped up in this cozy blanket of I'm not a racist, because the truth is we all have work to do. And I am seeing a hopeful, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a hopeful progress towards People leaving that comfort behind to come out and help their fellow humans, and yeah, there's a piece of me that wants to say, "Okay, it's too little, too late." But the middle dictates for me that I also realize that progress is necessary if we're actually mm-hmm. going to change anything.
1: Yeah, progress over wins and losses. That what you,
0: awkward what ally you, progress.
1: Awkward ally. What you just said sounds a lot about. Uh, sounds a lot like the difference between empathy and sympathy, which we've talked about a lot, right? So the fact that you would be willing to, that's um, one thing to say, oh, I'm sorry that that happened, that's horrible, um, and you sort of leave it there. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting um, that you're seeing folks Say you know what i'm gonna try to be vulnerable here and understand things more and speak out on some things and if somebody you know says I'm something, well, so be it I'll work through that um but that's 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 easy work for me compared to somebody who's losing their life right like that that's a um i think that's 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 a that's that's an interesting um take on things, especially from an empathy standpoint, right? Cause yeah. you, cause all of a sudden you're like, you know, it's, it's not just me seeing that video and saying, Oh, that's sorry. It's like seeing that video and saying, all right, let me, let me get to work on something, um, which is what we'd hope for. Mariah, how are we doing?
2: I think so. I know y'all didn't really get into like the policy stuff, but it's like, everything is so multi-layered. It can be really hard to cover everything in 45 minutes to an hour. It's helpful for people to hear how folks are processing. Um, You know, there was like a girl on Twitter uh, a while ago who like two weeks after sort of like that day where almost every major city across the world had a protest. And it was like two weeks later. And she's like, I know you're probably feeling tired right now, but this is when you should set up reoccurring donations. And it's like on a surface level, that sounds very like nice. But then everyone's like, what privilege it must be to be tired of something. That is everyone's everyday life. And it's like, if your anti-racism isn't, uh, like work isn't a way for you to build it into your everyday life, then it isn't actually anti-racism work. Like just reading the book isn't the work. Just like doing the research isn't the work. And like, yeah, comprehending new information is work. But if you're not finding ways to like build that into your everyday life, then you're not actually doing the work and it shouldn't feel exhaustive because there are things that you can like do within your daily life to change things or, and especially like in professional settings too. Yeah. This is our fabulous producer Mariah right here.
1: Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep.
2: But it's just like, you have to find the ways to be like, Hey, okay, great. I'm happy to work on your production. Who is the rest of the team? What does the rest of the team look like? What are you doing to like actively make sure that this production team looks like what even just the rest of the United States looks like, and I do think that it's in, that within the, the confines of
0: many of us, many of us are still social distancing. Many of us aren't in the world in the same way that we were before. So it's actually kind of giving us this forced evaluation of how we can come back into the world and take real and make real change and and enact real action. And so I think there is this like growth. It's this, the seed has been planted. We're watering it. We're fostering it. But the next question that we have is what does that mean in the world? How can we make those changes in the world? What are things that we can do today, even if we're still at home, even if we're still going back and forth to work? And even if we're still in the middle of a global pandemic crisis, there are actions that we can take to continue the work.
1: No, absolutely. And I think the... Um... I like what you said, Mariah, about that. It's, um, it's not a, um, it's, it's a lifestyle, right? It, it just, it just, that's just what you do. Like when you, when people work out and they're trying to, um, sort of change their diet or, you know, trying to lose some pounds or whatever, you know, the the first thing that you learn is, you know, it's not, don't make it a, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing, right? Make it a part of who you are, and make it a part of your everyday. Um and I think individuals and businesses um still have a lot of work to do into it not being about work and just doing. Like it like it has to be as natural as yeah, I wake up and I eat breakfast. Like it's it's it it it's, it's gotta be like that. Um, and it has
0: to be that energy and not that January 1st, I'm hitting the gym, New Year's resolution yeah. energy, and I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of starting yeah. with that energy really strong, clearly back to all the online courses I sign up for, but it's how do you make it a part of your life and then build from it because it's a heck of a lot easier to like take these steps, create the foundation, and then add to them versus going from couch potato to bodybuilder <laughs> overnight. Right.
1: Yeah, nobody's saying you wake up and you're like, all right, I'm like, I'm like on some, uh, you know, I am. I'm running am a marathon Silverado. today. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 I'm. Like, um,
0: you can't wake up and be John Lewis today.
1: Yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's perfect. Perfect. I like that. You cannot wake up and be John Lewis today, but John Lewis has laid enough of a roadmap for us to say, these are the steps that you should take.
0: And maybe right? when I'm 80. That could be a song. Maybe when I'm 80.
1: Maybe when I'm 80, I'll be like John Lewis. You know, so I, I, I love um, I love that take that take Mariah, because I think a, there's a lot of folks who have sort of looked at this as this insurmountable mountain uh, that I have to climb in order to be an anti-racist or to start making strides there. And, you know, it's yeah. it's it's. it's it's not. I talked to some business leaders um, a couple of weeks ago and I asked them about their ELT, their executive leadership team. And um, I said, well, you know, how are you guys doing? You know, how, how are you processing everything? What are you doing in your organization? And they said, yeah, yeah, we met and everybody on our on our ELT. We realized in, on the Zoom call that everybody was white. And I was like, well, that's a good place to start uh, right there because if everybody on that team looks one certain way, then you're going to miss a lot of stuff, right? Um, that can be rectified quickly, you know, kind of like the way the Jamil family did with the, from a naming standpoint. Like that's not, that's not that hard to do. Uh, at least I'm not buying that that's hard to do. Um, it's no Rocky I'm, Mountain I'm, Boulder. Yeah, you can do that. Um, and, um, you know, like you mentioned, some of the individual examples for for people, um, you know, reading a book is great and it's a first step. Um, it's a good step, but let's Put make it. it a part of our natural day, just like eating.
0: And while we're talking about books, there are two right now that I would highly recommend. <laughs> um, the first one is I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. It was a really impactful, incredible read. And then the other one is Becoming an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And I think that just like we talked about, yes, there's more work that needs to be done in the world, but there is also the work that we need to do as white people internally for ourselves and doing our own homework and taking it all in and processing it so that we can come out and move from awkward allies into warriors.
2: Can I recommend a book? Please recommend no, a book, time. Mariah. Yes, so I've been reading. It's called "Fearing the Black Body," um, and it is how our uh, beauty standards and diets have been uh, essentially rooted in racism. It's like the entirety of the diet culture and like fitness culture is so rooted in this because the the bodies that we're being It's so fascinating. It is a very academic heavy book, but um, as someone who strives for like body neutrality and like not giving into diet culture, it's been a really Mm -hmm. interesting read for me to um, see how so much is rooted in this desire to of, of whiteness in culture. I also want to make sure
0: to give the full title of Austin Channing Brown's book. It's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness.
1: Those sound like some good reads.
0: You don't need to read them. We'll take it. We got it.
1: <laughs> y'all can tell me about them.
0: If you want it.
2: Yeah. The other, uh, so I know y'all talk about UT all the time. And I worked on a podcast with um, the IUPRA department, the um, Institute of Urban Policy Research and Analysis mm-hmm. um, with two of their, um, one's, a, one's already a PhD and the other's a PhD candidate. Um, and they did a podcast specifically about how COVID has impacted black and brown communities in Austin. That was really interesting. Um, But they've also been publishing really extensive papers on like the history of policing. Um, And they post them all on their Twitter and they're free to read. And it's very, very useful information. Thank you for that.
1: See all of this good stuff, good knowledge that's out there. um, There really is no excuse. Uh, So I encourage everyone to, to dig in and embrace and uh
0: maybe order two books at a time instead yeah. of fifteen. But yes. Yeah.
1: And really feel it. Make it feel good. You know, like, you know, this is like uh make this stuff your new happy place. That's a way to do it. We're
0: going to the gym.
1: That's right.
0: Well, we're so excited that you guys joined us on this conversation and we look forward to our next episode and we hope you guys are staying safe, healthy and happy and doing the work.
1: Absolutely. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did enjoy, please subscribe and share with your people. Also. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review so that everyone else can hear all the wonderful things you have to say about us. We'd also want you to check us out in the social media space. All the links are in the show notes. So until next time, take care and we'll talk to you soon.